Well, uh, good morning. How are you this morning? Hey, by the way, um, uh, Jill mentioned the new chairs. Such a gift. Uh, I don't think she'll mind me saying, uh, but the donation was actually given by Sherry Mjohanan, if you know who she is, in honor of her late husband, Sammy, and uh, who passed away uh, about five years ago, and her and her kids, she came to me and said, we'd like to give something in his honor. Is there something you need? This was like two days after we went, we need new chairs. Uh, And her kids decided, yep, that's what we want to do. So uh, just an amazing gift. Um, She's not here today, but if you see her, um, so cool, so cool. Um, And um, I'm a little bit like sad today because we were supposed to have some teens going to Unite uh, tomorrow, uh, which is this youth conference in California. And wouldn't you know it, COVID struck. And so uh, our kids won't be able to go. Um, But the camp is still happening, and our friends at Agape are sending some kids. Uh, You helped to send a couple of those kids, by the way. Um, And so the funds that we've raised for Unite, many of you are a part of that. We're going to set aside for another time when we can send our teens to a camp or something like that. But Sort of bummed about that. Uh, my kids are supposed to go, and they're not able to go now, and it's just kind of a bummer. But you know what? Like, we can't control all things. And uh, it was just a reminder that, uh, you know what? COVID is still around, believe it or not. It just still is around. So with that said, uh, I'm excited, though, because we're back in the book of Acts today, and I think God's got some great, great information, inspiration for you this morning. So let's start with this. Just a show of hands, I would like to know where all the perfect people are. Oh, uh, I see one in the back. You can leave. You're welcome to leave at any time. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, if you've got to be brave to put your hand up for that, right? I mean, if you, I'm honestly, if you consider yourself a perfect person, you're really not going to like what I have to say today. Uh, so you might want to excuse yourself. No, no judgment, grace, all right? But just you might want to excuse yourself. Joking aside, though, uh, we all instinctively know nobody is perfect right? Like nobody in this room, we all know like, hey, look, we all got our flaws. I mean, it only takes a few minutes of living on this earth to realize I'm imperfect. We're imperfect people. And things are just not as they should be. And yet there's this this nagging feeling, isn't there, that we must somehow work toward perfection or at least be perceived as perfect or good enough. But yet we know no matter how hard we try, Deep down, it's never going to measure up. It's never going to reach perfection. Now, if you pair that, that sense of like, un, you know, unabil- inability to become perfect in this world, if you pair that nagging feeling with a world that also pressures us toward perfection, and we feel a little anxious, don't we? We, we get a little exhausted in this pursuit of perfection that our world seems to want us to chase after in all sorts of ways. Back a couple of years ago in 2019, two gentlemen, Thomas Curran and Andrew P. Hill, they, they released a study um, with the American Psychological Association's publication on the increase and effects of perfectionism in Western culture. And the paper is really thorough. Um, not a great read, just going to tell you right now. Uh, but their findings are really helpful in understanding our own struggle with achieving perfection 
in our lives. At a younger and younger ages, children are thrust into this world of perfectionism through academics and extracurricular activities and just basic behaviors. And I can vouch firsthand as the father of three kids, teenagers now, that this is a real thing. And that there is this pressure to raise up the next generation to be smarter and more successful than anybody has before. To pursue the perfect in every way that they can. And what was interesting is that in their response to their findings, Kieran and Hill in this study, they concluded two major theses regarding the rise and pressure of perfectionism in our world. And here was the first one. They decided and determined, based on their study, that young people are perceiving that their social context is increasingly demanding, that others judge them more harshly, and that they are increasingly inclined to display perfection as a means of securing approval. We all feel that, right? Like, we want approval in our social contexts, and more and more pressure is being put on all people, especially younger people, to pursue perfection in order to accomplish approval. The second thing they came up with was this, the conclusion they came up with this. Socially prescribed perfectionism was revealed to be positively related to a range of psychological disorders and symptoms of disorders. Some examples include social phobia, body dissatisfaction, bulimia nervosa, and suicide ideation, and had the largest relationship of other dimensions of perfectionism with depression and anxiety. Here's what they're saying. We're becoming a culture that's obsessed with perfection. We want more and more and more to gather up as much information as we can so that we can be seen as perfect. And the result of that is that we're more depressed, we're more anxious, we're falling into suicide ideation, we, are, you know, we're, we have social anxiety at the all-time high, and our anxiety around social context is because we're afraid we won't be approved by others, and they won't see us as perfect, because we know, right, we just all admitted it, we know we're not perfect, but we're living in a world that seems to expect us to be perfect. And it's leaving us anxious and stressed and exhausted. Maybe you're feeling this right now, this pressure, whether it be from your work or from your family or from your friends or from social media or from the news. We have this pressure to somehow be perfect. And yet, despite all of our improvements and our gains in our modern world, one of the great contributors to our decline in mental, uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical health is the pressure to be perfect. And again, we just admit it. We can't do it. We can't do it. We are imperfect people. Can you sense the intense struggle that goes on under the radar on a regular basis in your lives and the lives of the people around you? This constant push and pull of a world demanding perfection while continuing to know we aren't. Now, biblically speaking, we know that our imperfection is caused by one thing, sin. Now, sin can most easily be defined as simply missing the mark. It's used in archery, actually. They'll call it a sin if you miss your mark in archery. And the word biblically is us missing the mark, the mark that God has established 
when he set this world into motion. The creator God set into motion a world with standards. And yet because of our own desires and our sin, we decided to take things into our own hands and we missed the mark on a regular basis. We, we missed the mark on reaching those standards he set. And so in other words, God created a perfect world, but because of our sin, we've made it ourselves imperfect. That, that's where perfection comes from, and that's where we know that that internal struggle comes from. Now, fortunately, that isn't the end of the story, right? Our God, in an act of divine love, sees us in our imperfections, and what does he do? He sends his perfect son, Jesus, to come and live the life we can't live and die the death that we deserve and raise again three days later so that in spite of our imperfections, we could follow a perfect God. We could know the creator, the perfecter of this world. Well, then in the book of Acts, what we see happen and what we read is a story of what happens early on when people placed their imperfect lives in the perfection of Jesus. And in particular, the book of Acts tells the story of what happens when you bring a bunch of imperfect people struggling with the pressure of perfection, you bring them together into a community and what happens in the midst of them. Now, up to this point in the book of Acts, things have been going pretty good, right? People seem to be getting along. The, the church is growing. You know, we're going to be going into Acts chapter 6 right now and the first five chapters, I mean, things are going pretty good. I mean, the, the apostles are running into some trouble with with the authorities in, in, in Jerusalem at the time, but otherwise everything's going swimmingly. People are giving and they're enjoying each other's company and they're caring for each other. But then we get to the book of Acts and, and we get to Acts chapter 6 and things start to change a little bit. So with that in mind, I want you to grab your phone if you have it and open the YouVersion app. You can go to Acts chapter 6 if you're in your Bible today. And uh, in YouVersion, just go to More and Events. You can find Genesis Church there, and as you do, just again, a quick recap of where we've been up to this point in the book of Acts. Now, prior to Acts 6, the first leaders of the church, the apostles, have been preaching, they've been teaching, and they've been performing miracles in Jerusalem. And as a result, thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus, and they've begun to form this first church community. It's a brand new thing. Nobody's ever done this before in this way. In Acts chapter 2, we read that they were meeting together and sharing meals together and worshiping together and providing for the needs of one another. People are selling their land so that everybody is cared for. Others are opening their homes to care for those who are widowed and orphaned. I mean, the church seems like the perfect community for those who want to experience God's kingdom on earth. But then we come to Acts chapter 6. First half of verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. As they began to grow, all of a sudden, there's some complaining that starts to happen. There's some criticism of what's going on. There's some rumblings of discontent, Luke says. People are being saved, they're being baptized, they're being cared for, and yet Luke tells us that even 
in its infancy, there were rumblings of discontent in the church. Now, it's a good thing that still doesn't happen. You know, we figured it out finally 2,000 years later. Just kidding, right? This is all too close to home. I mean, people are upset for some reason here in Acts chapter 6. Things have been going pretty well, but at this point, uh, things start to get a little bit messy. And here's why they're upset. Rest of verse 1. It says, The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Okay. So you have these sort of two groups that are forming in the church. And the reason these two groups are forming is that the church is starting in Jerusalem, but it's not starting just with people from Jerusalem. If you go back to the earlier parts of the books of Acts, you'll see that the apostles actually start the church and start talking about Jesus during a festival, the festival of Pentecost. Well, during that festival, thousands, tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over the Roman Empire would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate that festival. And it says that uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, it says that thousands of those people decide to place their faith in Jesus and they begin to start this community. So you have people from all over the known world living in Jerusalem now. Some speak Hebrew, some speak Greek, right? So those who were in Jerusalem most likely spoke Hebrew. They were there, you know, those were kind of a small community subculture of that area. And those from the known word, Antioch and Greece and, the, and Rome and Thessalonica and Philippi, the, the, demand, the demanding language of the time was Greek. And so these two groups are coming together now. I mean, the first church early, very early on was very diverse, very diverse. And so depending on where they were from, they would speak these different languages, and they had these sort of subcultures that were going on within the church. Now, we know early on, too, that they're, they're caring for people, and they're sort of trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we care for people who are, say, a widow or an orphan? And so they're kind of just doing it willy-nilly a little bit. And there's some complaining that, hey, look, the, the, the Greek people are saying, the, the Hebrew-speaking people, they're taking care of widows, but they're not... They're not helping us as well. And so for the first time, we see trouble in the family of God. Trouble, rumblings of discontent. Imperfect people start doing imperfect things, and someone has to deal with it. So they do. Verse 2. So the twelve, the apostles, call the meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert of, to the Jewish faith. Verse 6, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So it didn't take long for the apostles and the church community to realize a truth that I believe we must understand as well if we want our church and the church universally 
to thrive. And here's the truth that they, er, they learn very, very early on. The church is an imperfect place composed of imperfect people following the perfect Jesus. Let me say it again so you don't miss it. The church is an imperfect place composed of imperfect people following the perfect Jesus. Do you see how problems can exist in a church? Now listen, the church is going to have its trouble, right? But aren't you glad you didn't show up to a church that claims to be a perfect place for perfect people? Aren't you glad you didn't show up to a place that claims that today? Because none of us could go there, right? In other words, the church has to be an imperfect place for imperfect people. It has to be, or else none of us can belong to it. It just means it's going to come with some trouble. We, I'm going to put it in our text, we, Genesis Church, we want to be an imperfect place composed of imperfect people following the perfect Jesus. In fact, it's not just that we want to be, we just are. We have to be. We have to be. Because we are imperfect people, in need of a perfect God to come together in community and live life together as they did in the book of Acts. And can I just tell you that that truth actually frees us up to do the work of the church while allowing space and room for our imperfections. In fact, the church thrives when this truth is applied in it. When we fully admit and realize this is an imperfect place and we are imperfect people, but we are after a perfect Jesus, we can actually start to make waves in the world. Now, I'll admit, the church hasn't always gotten this right. In fact, you may have been burned by the expectation that you somehow get your act together if you're going to belong to a church. And I just want to tell you right now, if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. Because there is not an expectation for you to just get your act together before you could be a part of this church. We don't believe that at all. In fact, we're all coming to this at the same place, saying, look, I, I, I'm flawed. I am in need of Jesus. That's why I'm here. And I, I want to be with these people who, imperfect though they may be, we can create room for our imperfections and space for growth in our lives as we follow the perfect Jesus. So if you have grown up in a tradition or if you've been burned by a church that expected you to be perfect, you're not going to hear that here. You're not going to hear that here. We come together as people in need, desperate need of our perfect Savior to transform us, to change us, to create room and space for all people, no matter where they are in their walk with God. Now listen, yeah, hallelujah, that's right. That's going to cause problems though. Y'all aren't going to get along all the time. You just aren't. And there's this like weird thing that church culture has created, especially in America, that we're just supposed to smile and get along and never have conflict. And instead we push it down and we go tell our friends and we're passive aggressive, right? Like we all know that. That is not what we're talking about here. In fact, that's not what the, the church in the book of Acts does. What, what, what do they do? Do they, ah, it's not a big deal. Just ignore it. Did the apostles just get together and be like, can you believe these people? Bunch of complainers. I mean, look at what we're doing around here. And all they can do is complain to them. I'm not getting enough food. Like, come on, Pete. They don't do that. What do they do? 
They deal with it. They deal with it. They recognize, oh yeah, we're imperfect people in an imperfect place following a perfect Jesus. This is going to happen. We have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. And so there are some needs for an imperfect church like ours, and I'll say every church because they're all imperfect in one way, shape, or form. There are some things we need to be doing or need to be creating in order for this church, imperfect though it may be, to continue to thrive. And the, this text shows us exactly that. And the first thing that we need to allow our imperfect church to thrive is grace. Oh, man. You know, notice it doesn't say that the apostles sat those people down and scolded them reprimanded them for how dare you complain can you not see who I do you not know who I am I am apostle of Jesus right that's not what happens that's not what they do they they just sort of go oh yeah yeah y'all are a bunch of sinners just like us this is what happens they, they, there's grace there all right Yep, we got a little tension. We got a little conflict. I'll tell you what, let's call a meeting. Let's get everybody together. We're not, we're not going to scold anybody. We're not going to get mad at anybody, right? In fact, you could see, I mean, it's really obvious that their rumblings of discontent were actually valid, right? I mean, th some of the trouble that's going on, it's actually probably needed for this church to continue to thrive. But that grace, it allows room for our imperfections without fear of exclusion or punishment. And we desperately need a place where we can come with our imperfections without fear of exclusion or punishment. You know, God shows us grace by sending Jesus while we're still sinners, right? Despite our imperfections. He makes room for that. He's not scared of that. God decides to relentlessly pursue us. And it's, his, it's not his desire that anyone should be apart from him, no matter the imperfections they may possess. And so we're called to extend the same grace to one another, knowing, listen, we're just a bunch of imperfect people trying to figure this thing out. We are all imperfect in our own ways. And to expect somebody to be perfect in the ways that you've crafted in your mind only brings harm to the good of the church. Now look, we're going to sin against each other. We're going to get mad at each other. We're going to disagree with each other. We'll annoy each other. We'll make wrong or bad decisions. But if it is met with scorn and shame, we're just going to shoot ourselves in the foot. So like the apostles, we're called to meet each other with grace and kindness. Now listen, we also want to be transformed and changed, right? Like we don't want to live, you know, be slaves to our imperfections. And so this doesn't mean we don't address the imperfections in our lives. I mean, this, you know, the apostles decide we need to address this. This is something that needs to be addressed. And so oftentimes we need people to help us in our perfections, meeting us with grace and guiding us with truth. Right? Which is the second, why we need the second thing that exists in this imperfect church in the first century for it to thrive. And that's that we need leadership. We need leaders. You know, leaders set the tone for any and every community. It, it doesn't matter how big, 
it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a government agency, a workplace environment, a coach on a team, a teacher in a classroom, or a leader in the church, the leaders set the direction of a community, and they establish the culture of that community as well. And so as such, the church needs leaders to thrive, and as the church grows, it needs more leaders to thrive, to handle some of the, the broken pieces that exist within an imperfect place, to handle some of the conflict, to handle decision-making so that the church can continue to be its best version despite all of its imperfections. Now, at Genesis, we have some layers of leadership. At the top is our leadership team and our staff, and together they help to establish the culture, the direction of our church under the authority of Jesus and his word. But from there, we have other forms of leadership as well. And we have group leaders and we have team leaders who help shape and guide our church in a variety of different ways. For instance, we have uh, people that help lead our cafe on Sunday morning to make sure that you are properly caffeinated. Aren't you glad, right? <laughs> Aren't you glad? They're unsung heroes, by the way. And you should give them a high five when you see them. We have lead teachers who are hanging out with your kids right now who help to shape and guide our children toward a greater faith in Jesus. We have worship leaders who guide us through worship and song. We have host team leaders who are there to greet you and welcome you into the community. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so imperfect communities like ours can only thrive when there is proper leadership at different levels. To imagine me or Joe or one of our leadership team members trying to make all the decisions and teach everything and be everything would only be hurtful to the health and well-being of our church. And not only because it wouldn't meet the needs of the church, but also because it would deny you the opportunity to lead in ways that God is calling you to. The, the apostle's solution to the rumblings of discontent is to raise up new leaders to help to pitch in, to use their gifts to provide for the needs of the church. This is an appropriate manner for the church to deal with its imperfections. And, you know, the reality is, is as a church, we want to, to cultivate leadership in you, to train you at any level, whatever. It might be a small level, might be on our leadership team, might be on our staff. I don't know, but we want to cultivate leadership in you so that you can be invested and have a hand in what God's doing here, and also to help us thrive as a church, imperfect though we may be, that you would be able to use your gifts and your abilities and your thoughts to lead us and to lead our people to a new place, which is why there's a third thing we need if we want our imperfect church to, to thrive, and that's we need participation. The apostles choose seven men, it says, to help lead this particular need in the church. And the text says they did it. They didn't, it doesn't say, and they went away and they thought about it for six months and then they came back and they were like, yeah, I got a few more questions about it, whatever. No, it just says they did it. They did it. They were honored. They participated. They didn't sit on the sideline and hope someone else will do it or expect someone else to do it. The seven men rose to the occasion. They took the responsibility of leadership seriously, and they served in the ways that they had been asked. Churches only thrive when people participate. If we just 
come and sit on the sidelines expecting, you know, just a few people to do uh, or many are needed for. You're, we're never going to see the kind of growth and, and you know, just establishment that we want to see in our community. It's only going to cause greater problems. Fewer people will be saved. Fewer people will be connected. Fewer people will be cared for. Fewer people will be discipled. Fewer teenagers will hear the gospel. Fewer kids will hear about Jesus. I mean, we, we need everyone. The, the, the church in Acts, and we'll see later on too, needs everyone to allow it to thrive and be healthy for the well-being of the church to participate, to be invested, to contribute in the ways that God's gifted you in the church. You know, on a side note, I just need to drink water real quick. After 20-some years of full-time ministry, do you know who tend to be the biggest complainers and those rumbling with discontent? Nine times out of ten, and I'm not exaggerating, those with the greatest complaints are also those who are participating least. It's, you know, it's like the Monday morning quarterback coach, right? Like, oh, come on, Kyler Murray. You should have thrown it there, right? You should have ran it there, right? Like, yeah, easy for you to say watching it from your couch on its 80-inch TV with 90 camera views, right? Like, easy for us to say. And... It's those on the sidelines that I ex have experienced most of the critique and the criticizing of those who are doing the work God's called them to do. And it's interesting how quickly that first priority we just talked about, grace, goes out the window when we start to just stand on the sidelines and watch others do what we should be doing ourselves. But here's the thing. When an imperfect group of people decide to use what is at their disposal and participate in what God is doing in the church without excuses, without hesitation. Look out. I mean, look out. And li listen, if, if you're not participating in what God is doing at Genesis, I cannot tell you there's no better time for you to start than right now. We need you and you need us. If you're standing on the sidelines, right, you're not only missing out on participating in what God is doing here at a deeper level, but you're also denying this community of what you have to offer. We can't thrive without you. We cannot be who we want to be, who God is calling us to be without you. We need you to recognize, listen, I might be imperfect, but I can contribute. I can help. And it may be in small ways, it might be in grand ways, it doesn't matter. We need you. So listen, if you call Genesis home and you're not participating, will you please come talk to us? Will you fill out a connect card and say, I'm in. Let's talk. We'll figure this out. We'll meet you with you with grace. We'll help you find a place where you can serve and dare I say it, lead eventually. You'll be able to find purpose and what you can do to participate in the work of God here at Genesis. I'll just say, listen, if you don't come talk to us, we're going to come talk to you, all right? In love, of course, but we're going to come talk to you because I don't want you or our church to suffer or to miss out on what God can do in and through you. 
We say we want to be a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. That's who we want to be. And like the first church experienced and found out early on, that that is an imperfect place composed of imperfect people following an imperfect, or excuse me, a perfect Jesus. And we need to come together and in grace and, and, and raise up leaders and participate in what God's doing. And when we do that, this dream that we have of who we want to be, making an impact in our world becomes a reality. But if we just sit on the sidelines and we just hope someone else will do it or we make excuses we hope someone else will watch the kids. We hope someone else will greet somebody at the door. We hope somebody else will help, you know, uh, on Sunday mornings run our tech booth. We hope somebody else will, whatever it might be, lead groups or lead, you know, uh, a service project. We just hope somebody else will. If, we, if that's our mentality, then, then what are we doing? I mean, God is calling us to participate in what he wants to do and he's exampling for us in the book of Acts what can happen when a church begins to participate. I don't want you to miss the very end of this passage. It says that all this happens. The apostles address it with grace and leaders. They raise up new leaders and people start to participate. And then it says, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And then it says this, and many of the Jewish priests were converted to. Up to this point, it says nothing about that. And yet because the church decided, look, we're messy and we love Jesus and so we got to figure this out in grace and in love. We need new leaders. We need to participate. God does a miracle. Jewish priests, men of the temple decide, I'm going, I'm going with Jesus. I'm leaving my post to go follow Jesus the number of believers continues to increase more and more and more. And we're going to find out in the next couple chapters that God is about to do something to explode these Christians out of the city and into the world. Look, we, we have been called to this amazing opportunity. And my question for you today is, will you participate in that? Will you understand that we, we're here in grace and even despite your imperfections and my imperfections, we can come together and do amazing things. God can do amazing things in and through us. Will you join us in doing that? We want you. We need you. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that you don't... <laughs> You don't call us to come to you perfect, unblemished. But instead, your story that you have written in history is that you came to us who were imperfect and blemished. And you gave us hope. You gave us a future in the person of Jesus. And so, in this imperfect church, composed of imperfect people who are following the perfect Jesus, I... I ask for a miracle. I ask that you would, you would ignite a new passion in us to follow you more closely, to love each other more deeply, 
to receive people with greater grace, to participate in ways that maybe we've never done before, to raise up new leaders, God, that you could do, only you could do. That we would become that thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. That we would be a people whose lives are being transformed by the day. And that we would be going into our world, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, uh, our sports teams, and making an impact on the lives of those in our lives because of what you're doing in us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.